Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, comic books, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. Uh, this is uh, specifically a new episode of the Rocket Ship Roulette segment where we watch random movies and space opera nonsense happens. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, Brian? <laughs> Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know how there was like an all-night rager the last couple of days with, with Starcock and his brother uh, inside this space manta ray? You know, we're inside a fish in outer space. Um, well, they finally they finally fell asleep, all right? So I'm just, I'm trying to keep quiet so I don't wake them up because otherwise I'm going to have to do more space cocaine. And I, I can't handle any more. I will die. All right. Um, oh, God. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I think they're getting up now. They're going to order space Chinese food. I need to go over here. Okay. Okay. I think, I think they can't hear me. Hello, Brian. Oh, fuck. Brian, you want to have another party? We can't have another part. Look, Starcock, we can't have another party until the furniture is repaired. Like, it's exactly. still not fixed from the last 12. It's not, a, it's not a feasible option at this juncture. Once I um, become dictator of the world, that'll be a fine thing to fix. What are you saying, brother? Where is my space cocaine <laughs> that I got as a pension from the ghost IRS? Wow, they give you ghost space cocaine? That's crazy. All right, but anyway, we're, today we're talking about two movies, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and Old Boy 2013, directed by Spike Lee. <laughs> Uh, so, Chris, which movie do you want to talk about first? Well, um, I think we should save uh, the worst for last, and we should talk about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 first. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, colon, Freddy's Revenge. Um, this colon, was a movie. the gay one. Colon, kind of a big oof <laughs> in some ways, question mark? Um. All right, let's get, the, let's get the gigantic elephant in the room out of the way. So when this movie was being made, uh, it was written by David Chaskin and directed by Jack Shoulder. Now, they got a guy, Mark Patton, who was in a 
previous film, which was, it had gay subtext in it, but it was like an underground film. And this was his first Hollywood right. production. Mark Patton thought this was going to be his big ticket to Hollywood. Uh, but the problem is, is that when they started out with production on Nightmare on Elm Street 2, it was a total rush job and they didn't know what their plan was. So they were like, what are people scared of? And then David Chaskin's like, what if we made it? about how guys are really terrified of being gay and like freddy is inside of him and trying to get out and this would be a metaphor for people's fear of being gay and i'm not making this up by the way this is literally david chaskin's words that first part was yeah. actually really on point and then it <laughs> took a massive dive in the second part <laughs> Now, it just so happens that Mark Patton is a gay man, and... He was not out at the time, though. Right, he was not out. He was out to certain people from his underground era, but he was not out in a Hollywood sense. And after the film came out, he was very uncomfortable with the direction the film took during the production, because it felt like he was being exploited because of his identity, and this wasn't really the story that he signed on for. Once the movie was finished, he basically was only getting typecast as gay roles, and he was like, I can't do this, I can't be in Hollywood anymore. So he said, fuck it, and he moved to Mexico. <laughs> now, this is where uh, we get into the, the dark era, uh, the era when we don't know what was happening with Mark Patton. He basically went off the grid. So Mark Patton became a interior designer in Mexico. And okay. uh, he, he, uh, he contracted HIV in 1999. Oh, no. um, so that was another thing that really uh, was a, a huge part of why he didn't get back into acting, obviously. And then finally, when the uh, documentary Never Sleep Again, which is the four-hour Nightmare on Elm Street documentary, they tracked him down in Mexico to finally ask ask him what he thought about being a part of the film and he said you know they felt exploited by it but then never sleep again basically introduced him to this whole like lgbt horror subculture that loves nightmare on elm street 2 and loves jesse and he thought that was pretty cool <laughs> so if you meet mark Patton now you'll probably find him on the the horror convention circuit and then of course there was the scream queen documentary which was made by shutter which i thought was fantastic where they interrogated mark Patton's feelings about his relationship with the film and they have him actually basically confront david chaskin and jack shoulder and david chaskin's oh. whole thing is he does eventually apologize but i i and many other viewers think that mark Patton should have blamed jack shoulder a little bit more he should have shouldered more of the blame. <laughs> I get it. Uh, yeah, because basically at one point, Jack Shoulder in the documentary says, hey, you know, if you're going to blame anyone, blame me. I okayed everything that happened during that production. If I thought something was going wrong, I would not, I, I would have stopped it. So really, it's Jack Shoulder and David Chaskin's fault. Okay. Yes. So that is the, the big elephant in the room. Yes, this movie ruined a man's career and then changed his life forever. <laughs> and has a very apparent homoerotic subtext that is either weirdly empowering or extremely homophobic depending on your perspective i, I know there's a i know there is a, a subculture that is like an lgbt you know horror subculture yes. that, as you mentioned loves this movie and you know yes. you are valid but i i mean like i'm just looking at this movie and and like if, if, if that is if you are empowered by this movie good for you yeah. that's that's, you know, again, that's valid. But a lot of the stuff I see in this movie feels like it has not aged particularly well. Yes. From... Yes, and. So if I can if I can talk about this for a little bit. Of course. Yes. I think a lot of LGBT kids, including myself, grow up 
and they don't have access to LGBT media, mostly because most of it's not made for kids. A lot of it's underground and hard to access until recently. So when we would watch media, it, we didn't care about how accurate or tasteful the representation was, so long as it was representation, it was something we latched onto. And I think a lot of LGBT people, LGBT horror fans, which there are quite a number of, uh, latched on oh, to yeah. this character of Jesse, and uh, they they really identified with him. And to be fi- to be fair. Some of the things in the movie, particularly the fear when you're closeted that you are going to be attracted to a friend, is a very real palpable emotion. And I think the movie, yeah. uh, through metaphor, does it well. But it does do, at the end, the whole, Freddy is being gay, Freddy is evil, therefore being gay is evil, and I can only be saved by the kiss of a heterosexual yeah, woman. Yeah, <laughs> and, there, and there's like sort of like a gay slash sort of trans thing when Freddy possesses him and it's all like, no, Jesse's dead. I'm Freddy now. And <laughs> like the kiss of a woman has to like... It's like Sleeping Beauty, but for being gay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and let's, be, let's be more honest. Uh, the, the writer David Chaskin and uh, Mark Patton say this is not necessarily a gay film, but a bisexual film. Because it's clear that the, uh, the main actor... Uh, Mark Patton plays Jesse as being interested in both women and men. He's just put off by the fact that he's interested in men and that drives him away from his relationship with his girlfriend. You ever notice how many of these types of movies, I think we talked about like when we, uh, separate from this podcast, we did a, uh, Brian and I did a marathon of all of Kevin Smith's films. And I was just reminded of how all of the problems in chasing Amy would be solved if someone mentioned the word bisexual even yes. once like that. <laughs> exactly uh so now um, we get into the plot five years after freddy krueger's apparent defeat which wasn't really apparent at all because you know there's the twist ending at the end of nightmare on elm street kind of carrying on the theme from psycho 2 the last time was that this is a horror sequel that to a movie that arguably didn't really need a sequel but yes. ended on a cliffhanger that is not followed up on at all. Like, I guess we're assuming that Nancy's dead, I think. Unless she comes back in one of the sequels. Oh, she comes back in one of the I can't tell you. Five years after Freddy Krueger's apparent defeat, the Walshes have moved into Nancy Thompson's former home. Their teenage son, Jesse, who loves to dance in his underwear <laughs> to some 80s reason. music in a very homoerotic way. There's a lot of Jesse shirtless in this movie. And uh, I, I get the yes. feeling that Mark Patton wasn't wholly comfortable with that. But then again, I also think Mark Patton's giving the performance of a lifetime as Jesse. He's very good in the in the role. Like, I think most of this film, like, I'll, I'll, I'll say it right now. I think this film is kind of just okay at best. Yeah. But, like, I will give credit where credit is due to Mark Patton. He is doing a lot of good work with admittedly somewhat substandard material mark Patton deserved a better movie <laughs> yes he did it, the, we, we should bring jesse back for the inevitable yes. nightmare on elm street legacy sequel <laughs> yes make him one of the dream warriors <laughs> and uh, their teenage son jesse has a nightmare about being stalked by kruger driving a school bus and then like all the earth falls away and this scene always makes me feel a little weird because like his, his makeup and his hairstyling is completely different than the rest of the film and I'm just wondering, what, was this from, like, an early, like, promo shoot or something? Where they were, like, gonna have him be a nerd? Like, because the, the film's 80s-ness 
is largely subdued, except for this one scene where everyone is just the most 80s possible, and then they get driven off of a cliff to yep. hell? Question mark? Um, there's no the- real, like, there's there's a lot of pits in the nightmare mythos that are never explained. He wakes up and attributes the dream to the unusual heat in the room. Jesse goes to school with his friend Lisa, whom he is interested in romantically, but is too shy to flirt with her because he's a nerd. After getting into a fight with a boy named Grady during gym class, after one of them pantses the other, this movie's totally not gay, guys, Coach Schneider has them stay after class, and they become friends. And then there's the bit where Grady's like, hey, yo, you think Coach Schneider is gay? Well, they they don't, they, 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 they go a little bit farther because he's like what do you think of what do you think of the coach schneider and he's like don't don't go near a man he goes to those queer snm joints yeah <laughs> which we see later yes we do movie. see he's it at like a like a drag club <laughs> he's at an he's at an snm bar which i don't do those exist I, maybe they did in the 80s but anyway i don't coach, know <laughs> coach schneider has them stay after class and they become friends and uh lisa comes to visit jesse after school and they discover nancy thompson's diary detailing her nightmares which are strikingly similar to jesse's interesting and jesse's like hmm this is pretty weird and then a bird explodes a bird explodes but but let's go back to the bird exploding yes for the a bird the bird because explodes. if you remember in the original a nightmare on elm street in a nightmare on elm street freddie can't connect with the world outside of dreams right and then this right. movie's just like no fuck that fuck that fuck that noise well, because he's gonna I- make birds explode. <laughs> well, because the idea is that so, like, or like right before this, you know, mm-hmm. Freddie confronts Jesse in the dream and is all like, "I need your body," because the, the, uh, the totally and he caresses not- his face. You caressed my head. You're my friend. Why wouldn't I caress you? Totally subtle. Um, but um, basically, the gist of this movie is that Freddie needs to possess a human body. In this case, Jesse's in order to be as powerful in the human world as he is in the dream world. I'm not sure why he feels the need to do this, considering it seems like before Nancy made him go into the real world, he was doing just fine doing all the murders and then the he got world. the kick, the shit but, kicked out of him in the real world. Yeah, and then, but then after he got the shit kicked out of him, he seemingly immediately was able to murder Nancy back in the dream world. So it seemed that, like he was doing fine, but okay. To give credit to performances once again, the legendary Robert England, of course, returns as yes. Freddy Krueger, and he is phenomenal. Like as I to actually, be expected. I actually really like this version of Freddy. I know some people don't. But I like that this version of Freddy hasn't started making quips yet. I think once we get into Nightmare 3 and onward, he becomes kind of like, you know, you know, the Freddy that you know from pop culture that's always making one-liners whenever he kills people, <laughs> which is fun in its own way. But I like this menacing, demonic type of, uh, of Freddy. Well, I mean, I bit. feel like, I mean, yeah, I do. Although it, it, I, think it was argue, I think it was done better in the first film. But it works. Yes. It works very well here. Um, although yes. I do, I am looking forward to when we get to quip Freddy. <laughs> like that's that should be fun. Anyways, yeah. um... the following night, Jesse has a nightmare where he encounters Freddy, who tells him to kill for him, and he's like, "No, uh, how about no?" <laughs> the dreams grow more intense, and Jesse unsuccessfully attempts. 
uh, different measures to keep himself awake, including stay awake pills. I love the completely on-the-nose sleeping medication in the Nightmare Universe. I think it's hilarious. So what happens then is he eventually begins wandering the streets at night, and one night he is goes into an S&M bar and he finds Coach Schneider. Yeah. And uh, Coach Schneider is like, hey, what are you doing? And then he uh, has him, makes him run laps at the school as punishment at night, which is kind of weird. After sending Jesse to the showers, Schneider is attacked by an unsearched... Well, what are you talking about? He's a, he's not attacked by an unseen force. He's attacked by the, the sports equipment. It's the attack of the sports equipment. He gets basketballs and and shit thrown at him. (laughs) And there's definitely the not gay scene where he gets whipped in the butt. Oh yeah, I really, I literally wrote in my notes here, uh, homoerotic whipping. (laughs) Yes. Oh boy. (laughs) Only the best from this movie. And uh, then what happens is Jesse vanishes into the steam and Freddy emerges, killing Schneider by slashing his back. Afterwards, Jesse is horrified to see the glove on his hand and has an amazing scream. This is why he's known as the first male scream queen, because his scream is great. He can go high, he can go low. He has a lot of range with his scream, all right? 10 out of 10 screams from Jesse. Very good. He he is escorted home by police after found wandering the streets naked, and his parents believe that he may be on drugs or mentally disturbed. Lisa takes Jesse to an abandoned factory where Freddy Krueger worked, but they find nothing there. The following night, Jesse goes to Lisa's pool party and kisses her in the cabana, but his body begins to change, and he leaves in a panic. I wonder if that's a metaphor for anything. Uh, because his tongue comes out, it's like, blah, and it's like Yeah, he has the weird tongue. tongue. And... Yep. He goes to Grady's house, confesses to killing Schneider, and instructs Grady to watch him while he sleeps. And then Grady has the amazing line of, uh, basically, Jesse says, Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, and she's female, and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. That's called subtext. So why are you here, standing in the rain? <laughs> <laughs> so then what happens is when Grady eventually falls asleep, Freddy emerges from Jesse's body and kills Grady. And Jesse has some amazing acting in this scene. I think it's a really emotional scene. I really like Jesse in this. Freddy then changes back to Jesse, who finds himself looking at Freddy's laughing reflection in Grady's mirror. And this is the moments where I feel like this movie could have been great. The idea of a killer inhabiting your body as a metaphor for repressed homosexuality. Like, sure, that could work if the answer was freeing yourself from that repression. But instead, the message seems more to be, like, homophobic, you know. It seems to be, if you're gay, you'll want to do murders. (laughs) This isn't helped by the extended universe books implying that uh jesse was molested by his father oh no yeah yeah so jesse flees before grady's parents enter the room i can't Uh, believe grady is fucking dead yep returning to lisa's house jesse tells her what is going on lisa realizes and this is where we have the other uh great line um he's inside me and he wants to take me again subtle phrasing (laughs) lisa realizes that jesse's terror is giving freddy his strength but he cannot stop fearing him and transforms again freddy locks lisa's parents in their bedroom and attacks her but realizes he cannot harm her due to jesse's love for her freddy then goes outside and slaughters all the partygoers and like okay the scene is fun but seeing freddy in the real world killing real people all at once kind of defeats the purpose 
of Freddy Krueger, right? Isn't his whole thing that he's supposed to kill people in an individual way in their dreams that reflects their innermost fears? And I think this is kind of the, I think what you've hit on is kind of why I have an issue with why he's seeking power here. Because like, okay, Mm -hmm. it makes a certain amount of sense for the character, but from a story perspective, if you give Freddy the same amount of power in the human world he has in the dream world, then Freddy just kind of wins? Right. by default, this is why I mean, Freddy versus Jason is a. It's obviously going to be Freddy because he can attack Jason in his dreams. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that. We'll get yeah, we'll get to Freddy versus Jason eventually. Yes, you know, yes, he's ultimately defeated in this movie by the power of love. Later, um, the power of heterosexuality. That's the power of love. It just kind of, and while it is a fun scene, and it's also like. The first, I, also, I will say, this is a slasher movie. I think part of the issue is this is a slasher movie where basically nobody dies until the very end of the movie. Yeah, it, it's, it's very, it's very backloaded with murder, I'd say. Yeah, so, like, it, it's nice to actually have some, uh, some kills in this, in, in, in here. But, like, yeah, it does kind of defeat the purpose of Freddy. Although I do like the, uh, uh help yourself, fucker! <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a quick line. Yes. Yeah, and the quips will continue. And uh, Lisa's father emerges with a shotgun, but Lisa stops him from shooting Freddy, who is really Jesse, and he escapes in a ball of flame, uh, shouting, You are all my children now. Lisa drives to the factory, facing sudden nightmares and having to control her fear before confronting Freddy. This scene feels really rushed like why would freddy be at freddy's secret base like is he a batman villain does he have to keep going back to this base to, to the freddy cave da, 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 right. da, da, da. <laughs> when lisa confesses her love for jesse and kisses freddy jesse begins to fight back freddy combusts and turns to ash from which jesse emerges later as jesse lisa and lisa's friend carrie are taking the bus who is also in the movie <laughs> Jesse begins to notice similarities to his original nightmare from the beginning of the movie. After Lisa calms Jesse down, Carrie says that it's all over. Nothing bad's gonna happen now. And then they get driven off a cliff. Yeah, and then uh, Freddy's clawed arm bursts through her chest. Freddy laughs as the bus drives into the field, just as in Jesse's nightmare. Yeah, and then the um, whole thing comes full circle. Okay. So, I have feelings about this movie. Uh <laughs> you don't on say. one hand, this is a camp classic, and I absolutely adore Jesse, and I love the uh, the whole he's inside me gay narrative. <laughs> but on the other hand, this is really homophobic. Yes! yes. <laughs> and also kind of lazy. The fact that it is lazy is only helped by the fact that it has a lot of creative people working on it, like Mark Patton and some of the cast are pretty good. Robert England, of course, is fantastic. Overall, I'd say it's a decent movie. It has real big highs and also what-the-fuck moments, like bird explosions. <laughs> yeah. So I'd say it's probably like the Beneath the Planet of the Apes of the franchise. <laughs> You know, it's it's the sophomore slump where, like, you know, in a franchise, they have the second film and they don't know exactly what they're doing yet. They don't exactly know how to use the main character, so they're, like, figuring it out as they go along. It's the Thor the Dark World of the of, of, of Nightmare on M Street films. <laughs> like, I do, of course, see that's homophobic, but there's still a part of me that does actually really appreciate the movie because I can look past that and reclaim it, you know, as an LGBT piece of culture which i think a lot of people have done 
for better or for worse. For better or for uh, worse, yes. So yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting movie. I think it is definitely worth a watch just because of how strange and bizarre it is. I'd say that it is also very interesting for the stuff that came after it, like Never Sleep Again, the documentary, and Scream Queen. I thought that was a great documentary. So I'd say it's yeah. a it's a Scream decent Queen movie. colon My Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Yes. It, it's it's a decent movie with a with a lot of problems that led to more interesting revelations and documentaries later i'd say the cultural impact is greater than the film itself that's right yeah uh, i would agree with that so chris what do you think of nightmare 2 um i think i i would generally agree like i am definitely interested in seeking out those documentaries now but the movie is okay like it has some good ideas like the idea of freddy having to possess a human body is semi it's it's interesting i'm not sure how i feel about it in terms of how it works from a story perspective and what it does to the character but you know intriguing concept at the very least i like jesse quite a bit and there's some good kills in there um eventually there's some good visual styling like the the intro is is very good and the, I like I like it when they're in Freddy's lair and it has red and green lighting like very on the nose like his yes. sweater. I yes. thought that was fun. I, and I talked about this with Psycho too as well. It's like if you're gonna follow up Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, one of the best horror films ever made. I feel like you gotta bring your A game, and they really weren't bringing their A game here. I feel, or most of them weren't really. Like I think Mark Patton is definitely bringing his A game, and Robert England yeah. is bringing, at the very least, an A minus game. Um, mm-hmm. and, but, like, the overall direction feels very like, yeah, let's just, uh, he can, he can, he can go to the human world now, and just, uh, I don't know, they're, they're scared of the gays, maybe? Are you excited that the next one's written by, uh, Wes Craven? Yes. And Frank Darabont? Remind me who that is again, I- Director of the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, okay. Um. Yes. But, so, yeah, I think a lot of it is- like it's not terrible but and it's mm-hmm. probably worth at least one watch for curiosity's sake and the cultural significance um with what came later in terms of you know those those documentaries you mentioned but as a movie mm-hmm. eh, it's it's okay i guess all right now <laughs> we get into the trivia uh get, guess which actors were considered to play jesse oh brad pitt Christian Slater. Oh, okay. And Matt Damon. Oh. <laughs> and Mark Patton beat out all of those actors. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> Just an interesting note to end Imagine on. Imagine how different the world might be if Matt Damon had been the If Brad Pitt was in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Colin Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> Well, I mean, George Clooney was in uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. And Johnny Depp was in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. That is true. He was And we're not talking about that. Old boy. Didn't you already talk about old boy? No. No, We talked about the 2003 old boy, uh, Silgi. We're talking about the the 2013 old boy. This one was directed by Spike Lee. Oh, it must be good then. Yeah, it, I, I know. It stars Josh Brolin and Elizabeth really? Olsen and Samuel yeah. L. Jackson and some uh-huh. other people that were also in it. 
Surely this must be great, right? No! It's not Silky, no, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's bad. It's a well, bad that's movie. that's disappointing. It is. It's very disappointing. Like, I was talking about this with Brian earlier in the call, but I think this would have been a better movie if they had... If Spike Lee, instead of looking at Old Boy and saying, I should make that movie, if he looked at Old Boy and said, I'm going to take the ba- basic premise of it and use it and do my own completely different spin on it with this cast, I think that could have been a really so, great movie. So, um, fun but fact. I have a fun fact for you. That is actually what the original idea was. Oh, really? Yeah, there was a director's cut of this film that ran 140 minutes. And that one did not have the hammer scene, oh. and it also had a lot of different stuff in it that was apparently cut out, and the reshoots made it so that it would be more like the original Old Boy. Um, and Spike Lee didn't like the theatrical edition, so that's why it doesn't have a Spike Lee joint at the end of it. So what you're saying yeah. is uh, we need to start a campaign to hashtag release the Lee cut. Yes. Because um, <laughs> I feel like that would have been, like, based on that description... I feel like that would have been a much better movie than, than okay, what we got. I, I, I would I wouldn't put that much weight in its sales. This what we do see of this movie that is different is not that good. Like okay, <laughs> okay, okay, like it's not amazing. But I think I, I but you know, again, the cast is good and they are doing a they are doing what they can with the material they've been given. And I think well Look, if the Snyder Cut has taught us anything, it's that additional. It's that no matter how badly the base product went down, additional time can make a world of difference. So, yep. So, uh, so I, I want to get into Old Boy 2013 trivia, by the way. This movie was... It, the production of it's very interesting. So an American remake of Old Boy had the director Justin Lin attached for a ah. while. But then he uh, dropped out. Fast and Furious films. Yes, he did. But then in November 2008, DreamWorks and Universal were securing the rights to the remake, which Will Smith had expressed interest in starring in. And no, we're not talking about that either. Um, (laughs) With Steven Spielberg as director. Okay. Oh. Okay. Steven Spielberg directing Old Boy. And I want to watch that movie. Spielberg's idea was he was going to directly adapt the manga, which Old Boy was based off of. Okay, that would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, it would have been something different because, from what I understand, the original movie has uh, uh, certain deviations from the manga. So, d- adapting the manga yeah. more directly. That well, here's cool. the thing, though, is that them wanting to adapt the manga led to a lawsuit from the Korean film producers and the manga com- comic publisher that led to the film getting scrapped. Oh. Yeah, well, that's so... disappointing. In 2009, the project was dead, and then in 2011, Mandate Pictures uh, got the project, and then it uh, basically got uh, Spike Lee. Wow, that then, name is an omen. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mandate, Mandate. Pictures. <laughs> yep. And it was reported that Colin Firth had been offered the role as the villain. Colin Firth, <laughs> you know, the boyfriend from Mamma Mia. <laughs> yes. Which was later offered to Clive Owen. And uh, Charlton Copley was also cast at one point. Uh, until they finally game- got down to James Ransone due to a scheduling conflict. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
So let's get into the story, which is basically the story of Old Boy 2003, but bad. Not as good. Uh, it, <laughs> in 1993, alcoholic advertising executive Joe Doucette Brolin gets drunk after losing a major account because he's an asshole, a horrible asshole. Like, the first film, yes. Technically speaking, yes. The main character from the first Old Boy like, is also an asshole. Yeah, but he's, he's not a, he's this a... big of an asshole. Yeah, you know? he's at least, like, a sympathetic asshole, whereas mm-hmm. Josh Brolin in this movie, and again... Is psychopathic. Give, again, yeah, I will give credit. He is doing what he can, and, you know, I like yes. Josh Brolin a lot. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a very good actor, but, like, goddamn, he is just... <laughs> his character is so utterly unlikable. He's just so, and it's and it's all and it's the most stereotypically unlikable thing either because he's he's yeah. an advertising executive and he uh, he he's way too flirty with women and he has to miss his daughter's birthday because he has to go to the big business meeting. and he pukes in the middle important. of the of an alley. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing: you know how the first old boy went through all that intro stuff in about ten minutes and it was super stylish. And, like, really, like, whoa, it's so fast-paced. This, this movie goes takes... on for, like, 15, maybe 20 minutes. This movie takes 30 minutes for him to get out of the hotel room. Oh, yeah, it's 30, yeah, 30 minutes of this intro stuff. I will say, the intro stuff does introduce probably the best character in the movie, uh, Trisha, this black woman who is just who just calls out Joe on all of his shit immediately. She's yeah. the best character in the movie. Frankly, it should have been about her. And then it would have been a better movie. <laughs> she, she should have been the villain. She should have. Exactly. Uh, and so the, and then losing... Thanos gets drunk. And he yeah. he vomits in an alley, as we mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. He sees and... a woman with a yellow umbrella selling souvenirs on the street. Anyway, so we never find out what the yellow umbrella woman's deal is. Unlike the woman that we meet uh, in the original Old Boy, who we find out is like a hypnotist. Uh, this one, we never find out what her deal is. And when he wakes up, he finds himself locked in what appears to be a hotel room. His unseen captors provide him food, alcohol, and personal hygiene items, and he tries to kill himself. It's old boy. It's old boy it's again. It's old boy. It's chi- It's even- It's, it's old it's boy, straight, but worse. It's straight up- it Even- It's straight up Chinese takeout, so they can yeah. do the dumpling thing again, and we'll get yep. to that. Um, yeah. And also- They he, even- They even recreate the shot of his head coming out of the bottom of the doorway, where it, it's literally the same angle. <laughs> and this whole movie, Spike Lee is doing, like, I don't know, Park Chan-uk cosplay? <laughs> I don't know what you would call it. You're, you're basically just biting someone's style, you know? You're just copying what someone else does. It's like- It's like the Vince Vaughn Psycho movie. I was Psycho about to bring movie. up Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho starring- right. Starring Vince Vaughn. Um, oh. It, it's just like, why? Why are you doing I don't- well, I don't get what the purpose of it is. I agree with that. And then, of course, <laughs> we get to the moment where, um, as he- we, Where we get- Where- we see where we get to watch Josh Brolin masturbating to 80s workout videos, something yep. I did not need or want. Um, well, to be fair, it, there is kind of a scene like that in the original Old Boy, but it takes like five seconds. Yeah, they uh, linger on Josh Brolin masturbating. And it's like, I didn't need to watch Thanos masturbating. There's a lot of man ass in this movie. That is very true. <laughs> A lot of man ass. But anyway, so Joe sees a news report saying that his ex-wife Donna has been raped yeah. and murdered and that he is the prime suspect. Their three-year-old daughter Mia was adopted through the welfare system and is now a cello prodigy. And there's this, like, terrible, like, TV show which comes back later called yeah, Unsolved mi- Mysteries. Mi- yeah, Mysteries of Crime. 
Mysteries where, of crime. He sees throughout the progression of it's uh, totally not fake. of Mia's life. <laughs> and my thought when watching the movie was when watching this for the first time is okay. Given what happens in the in the original movie, this mm-hmm. feels like he's learning too much. But I thought okay. Right. Maybe they're trying to do something different here and do something else with the female supporting character and no. do a different thing with no. the twist later, uh, which is not what happens. And we'll, yeah, we'll which is which is really weird because, um, like, yeah, uh, here's the problem with him having to watch that one TV station is what are the odds that he's going to go to that one specific station? I guess they would just have to have it queued yeah, up on every other on every, station. Like, I guess, guess realistically, since... The bad guy, since evil British man from later mm-hmm. controls the hotel, he would right. He's be able probably to control the TVs in the hotel and thus have right. that one station on every channel. But yeah. also, he would have to control the. But he's also controlling. But also, like it's, it, there's real news broadcasts on that station as well, right? Because there's like history montages of like the Bush inauguration. He must have just, he must have just and, had and, it like clipped and, up to go or something. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because they go through because th- this time around they feel the need to go through the entire significant historical events that happened while he's stuck in this hotel room. Because Which the, the original the, film just montaged through in the yeah. beginning. Well, I mean, it's sort of a montage, but it's a way longer montage where we see. Get here's this. the thing: is that in the in the first film they intercut him escaping over time by cutting out with the chopsticks with him uh with 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 all the different stuff yeah, going where by. this time the history happens while he's just sitting on the bed and growing admittedly a very majestic giant beard i will give yes. props to josh brolin's giant beard very good their three their three-year-old daughter mia was adopted through the welfare system and is now a cello prodigy over the next 20 years joe quits drinking and gets into shape intent on escaping and getting revenge he compiles a list of all those who might want to imprison him like old boy and writes letters eventually to be given to mia okay one day he sees a tv interview of mia who says she would forgive her father if she ever saw him i wonder if this is fake it's totally fake yeah. joe is drugged shortly thereafter with the gas like old boy when he wakes up he is outside of the outside in a trunk in a field this is interesting because the trunk in old boy 2003 was i believe a hallucination or hypnosis thing yeah whereas whereas here it's so important it's a literal trunk yeah not only is it a literal trunk but they treat it as so important that it's the fucking poster for the movie and yeah like also um i don't I, I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like I needed to see an old boy movie where they remind me that 9-11 happened. Because 9-11 well, old is old boy 2003 of... reminds you that 9-11 happened. Wait, did they, did they reference Yeah, it, 9-11's in old boy 2003. I don't remember them referencing No, it is, 9/11. it is. I, okay, but yeah. it's... Re- that's, my fa- that's like one of my favorite movies of all time. So just okay, accept, accept. okay, <laughs> okay, fine. But it feels very weird here. Like, it's just okay. the Twin Tower. Like, so, like we cut from... Especially because we cut from the 2000 New Year... I don't, I don't think it's that weird because it, to that's the Twin in the 2003 Towers. version. And it's like, um, okay, fine. And then Hurricane okay. Katrina happens. And then Obama's second inauguration happens. And it's like, wow, we zoomed through the back half of the 2000s very quickly for this yeah. movie spacing. <laughs> okay, this is... Fun. Also... Like, okay, so there's two ways you can do this movie. One, you can do something entirely different. Two, you could do a shot-for-shot remake and do an American version of Old Boy. Now, one of these options is clearly bad, 
but the movie doesn't do either. So when he gets out, he doesn't even have the moment, the amazing, epic, introductory moment to the character when he's holding the guy over the top of the building and says, I want to tell you my backstory. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, that's not in this movie. That's not in here. Instead, Josh Brolin goes and beats up some football players. Um. Yeah, so in the original movie, he is about to get mugged by teenagers. In this one, he just escapes and randomly attacks football players for no reason, which makes him, one, way more unlikable and psychotic than the original character. And two, what the fuck? Why? Yeah, why does he feel the need to attack these football players? But then it's okay because Elizabeth Olsen shows up. Right. Very odd, very... Odd timing that we are covering this movie right after right after Multiverse of Madness came out. Like this is yes. the Monday after it came out at time of recording. Um, yeah. So he spots man, the woman much, with the yellow. Okay, I know it's yeah. I know it's utterly bizarre, but how much better would this movie have been if everything was exactly the same except Josh Brolin and Elizabeth Olsen were playing Thanos and Scarlet Witch? <laughs> that would make the movie worse, I think. But it would uh, be more interesting. <laughs> Maybe. He spots the woman with the yellow umbrella and runs after her. He loses her, but encounters Marie Sebastian, played by Elizabeth Olsen, a nurse who offers to help. Out of nowhere? So here's the thing. The 2003 old boy has a really good explanation as to why they fall in love. And that is that they have both been hypnotically brainwashed, basically. And have a few trigger words that are meant to basically trigger them into falling in love with one another. Because they're both highly susceptible to hypnosis. Like, okay, it's a bit out there, but it's a reason. In this, they're just like together and then at the end they just sort of hand wave it away like oh you guys we put you in the right position to fall like bitch no you didn't basically what are you talking about they both have shared trauma so i guess they bond over both having trauma and then they just have sex for reasons um exactly so he refuses to help then it makes the twist at the end a lot more stupid um right Because Old Boy 2003, the romance isn't just shoehorned in at the end. The romance like is like an integral part of the story structure. Yeah, whereas whereas like Elizabeth Olsen and Josh Brolin here are more just at most colleagues, and that was actually and they, and they decide initi- to like fuck once. Yeah, and, and that was something I initially liked because it was like, okay, at least this is something a little bit different from the original. But then they just I thought the they weren't going to go with the incest angle until they did until at the last they did. second. And I was, and it, and it's just more stupid now. Um, right. And so, anyways, um, what happens then is uh, Joe goes to his friend Chucky's. Uh, Chucky is a bartender who basically enabled his alcoholism and was a childhood friend, and explains what has happened to him. Joe receives a call on his cell phone from a man calling himself the Stranger, and oh my god, this version of the villain is so bad. <laughs> it's, he's like we went from like someone who was like manipulative and like really clever but also kind of you sort of understand why he did it because he was because like the guy was an asshole and like he had manipulated these two evil british man who's evil like, british man that loved his abusive father who was abusing him his entire life he's basically like it, he's a he's a bond villain effectively. right and it's and, and, like, not to say the original villain wasn't Bond-like as well, but he was cool. Yeah, this like he villain was cool, is not cool. Like, this is a villain, like, this is, like, uh, this is, like, new Blofeld from Spectre kind of <laughs> Bond villain. <laughs> like, the original, he had, like, snazzy suits, he was at the top of a high-rise building, and he had everything figured out, and he was so calm and collected. This one's, like, 
is like laughing and unhinged, and it's just not as impactful. When I mean, he's he just does not have that very fancy apartment. I'll give he him does that. have a fancy apartment, to be yeah. fair. Yes, he does. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Joe collapses from uh, dehydration after failing to identify the collar, and Chucky calls Marie for help. While he recovers, Marie is moved emotionally by Joe's letters to Mia and offers to help him further. She helps him identify a Chinese restaurant which supplied his food while he was held captive. Yeah, okay, one, this... one good scene that they did take out was when, in the original Old Boy, when he tries to assault her... I like that they got rid of that scene because that's the only scene in the movie that I don't like. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. And what? So what I don't get about this is, and I alluded to it earlier, is that okay? So, so in Old Boy, the thing right. obviously they were uh, he was only fed in the original Old Boy. He was only right. he was basically only fed dumplings because you know they were in Korea. Uh, they were in Korea, Korea. and dumplings was an inc- dumplings are an incredibly common street food. So it would be harder to, so it's obviously going to be hard for him to track down dumplings. And it's also right. easier to get as food. Um, whereas right. in this, like, yes, Chinese, whereas in this, it's America now, but it's just dumplings again. And in fairness, in the interest of fairness, it's not like Chinese takeout is uncommon in the United States. But there's like four or would, five in every town. Yeah, you know. but at the it's yes, but it, it's less of a challenge. Yeah, it's for less him. of a challenge. So why wouldn't it be like and it, so not only is it less of a challenge, but in terms of actually making it distinct as an American film, like you know they're in America. Why not have it be like McDonald's Pizza. or something or like just, <laughs> or or hell they're in Louisiana I believe. So why not make right. it like beignets? Like, there are how yeah. many fucking restaurants in Louisiana serve beignets? That's going to be a lot harder to track, and it's more Chris, distinctive. you've now put more like, thought and effort into this film than I think the people that wrote it did. Okay, um, But I also like to point out one thing we kind of glossed over is the uh, the weird painting of the black guy. Oh, yeah, in that's hotel. in the hotel room for and no reason. And he hallucinates him, and he comes to life. And it oh. seems like that's going to be, like, an ongoing symbol, or something that's going to come back eventually. And then it but doesn't no, come it, back. It's it doesn't just... come back at all. It's just weird. I like, forgot original, about that. That was weird. Like In the original, he hallucinates ants, because, you know, he's going crazy. And eventually they have a scene where they talk about hallucinating ants, <laughs> which I thought is pretty funny. But in this one, he hallucinates a weird hallway... Uh, hotel guy? <laughs> it's like, why? Like a, a hotel concierge? For, cause, is it just because he's in a hotel? Like I guess so. Oh, so anyway, so anyway Josh Brolin follows, steals a guy's bike. And, then... and Joe follows a delivery from the restaurant of a warehouse where he was in prison and meets Chaney, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who is very underserved by this film. Yeah. Uh, Joe tortures Chaney by flaying his neck with a utility knife. And I guess they changed that because, one, I guess they wanted to do something different. And I... I'm guessing ripping out someone's teeth with uh, with a hammer would be too graphic for this movie, but skinning someone's neck isn't too graphic. I the MPAA is weird. I, okay, I, I don't know. Um, so th- confess- this is also the part where they just do the hammer scene again, right? Except it's but, not- but we're forgetting the part where Samuel L. Jackson screams profanity, and it's very funny. Oh well, no, he's and very for, unintentionally he's, funny. He screams profanity, but he also mentions like booger eating, and I'm like, "You booger eating motherfucker!" Like what? <laughs> Come again? Um, this is okay, you I, and you can't have that character say booger eating and say all those curse words, and then say I once tortured someone for sixteen hours and make it feel like it's the same character. Yeah. Um. I I also will say 
that unless the characters they are playing are Thanos and Nick Fury, there is no believable scenario where Josh Brolin should be able to overpower Samuel Jackson. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just no. Upon, re- upon returning to Chucky's bar, Joe finds the stranger... Uh, Copley, there with the woman with the yellow umbrella, his bodyguard, Hang Bok, and uh, the stranger says, I, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, uh, the stranger says that they kidnapped Mia, but if Joe can determine in 46 hours the stranger's identity and the reason for his captivity for 20 years, he'll release Mia, give Joe 20 million in diamonds, proof of Joe's innocence and Donna's murder, and commit suicide all at once. Which, okay. Why? Like, if, if this is your big revenge quest, why would you offer somebody a $40 million out? And I know why they put it in the script. They put it in the script because there was not enough, there was not enough incentive for him to keep going, I think. <laughs> yeah, so because- So they're like, hey, there's all this money if you find out who. And that's just really weak as motivation. It's like, wouldn't, shouldn't Joe already want to do this? Because this yeah. is his revenge And also, film? why does the evil British man want to come out of the shadows now anyway? Like, right. what is the point? Of, it's basically just there because the movie is like, well, we have to have a villain now. So, right. evil British man. C- c- and we're going to get more into my problems with the evil British man later on. <laughs> I so like how Joe... we're not even bothering to remember his name. We're just referring to him as evil right. British man. <laughs> Joe learns that Cheney and his men are seeking revenge by attacking Marie. And uh, this is exactly like the scene from Old Boy. After racing to her house, he's captured by Cheney just as Cheney's about to cut and torture him. Just like an old boy. Yep. A stranger calls Chaney and offers to pay him for Joe's release, which is weird because in the original film, he's paying contractors and gangsters that don't know his plan. But in this one, they all seem to be pretty close to Chaney and they all should know the evil British man's plan. Again, they all. But they're still trying to get revenge. They for all reasons? have this very bizarre. Again, you, you described it earlier. It's this very bizarre Batman villain dynamic where he just has right. hired goons. That, like, you almost. Like, they're one step removed from having themed outfits based exactly. on the fact that he's an evil British. Honestly, I think that would have made the movie better if they just leaned into. <laughs> if, they made, if they made his supervillain persona evil British man and then all of his goons wore Union Jack jumpsuits. <laughs> So, Janie releases Joe and Marie. Using a music recognition app on her phone, Marie oh, yeah, determines... That, yeah, spo- yeah, old boy, sponsored by Shazam. <laughs> yes. Marie determines that the ringtone from the stranger's call is the theme song of Evergreen Academy, which, okay, hold up, hold why up. Does you ha- why do you have a school Why is that the first... And why is it on Spotify? <laughs> why is it on Spotify? <laughs> We're all evergreen old boys. Oh, oh. <laughs> what? What kind of what kind of school puts their anthem on Spotify? So, which Joe has attended but is now closed and shuttered. Marie visits the school headmistress's home. Joe sneaks in a back door and finds his yearbook where he recognizes a student, Adrian Doyle Price. And by the way, I'd like to point out that uh, Marie is a terrible liar in this scene. She's like, I'm with the Innocence Project. And then the lady's like, don't they only like defend people that are in prison and didn't the guy you're talking about go missing 20 years ago and she has no explanation but they keep talking as if this is okay <laughs> like what the fuck what the fuck the only the only logical reasoning the only way this makes even any amount of sense 
is if the teacher was in on the evil British man's plan and all of this was part of evil British man's plan, which is just another right. layer of stupid. Um, but it's probably not true, though. So Adrian yeah, and it's also inter- probably not true. Yeah. yeah. Then they have passionate sex, just like an old boy. Unaware that <laughs> Adrian is watching through hidden cameras, Chucky, Chucky does some internet sleuthing and leaves a message for Joe, revealing that everything has been about Adrian's oh, yeah. sister, we, Amanda. We, oh yeah, and we also forgot to mention that earlier on there's a scene where Joe is utterly perplexed by the internet because the film decided to be different for all of five seconds and try to lean into the fish out of water thing and then immediately forget about it. That, yep. that, so, that happens. <laughs> Joe recalls bullying Amanda because he's an asshole. And if you remember, Joe in the original yeah. film was kind of a jerk, but not the sort of person that would, like, actively bully someone. But anyway, and seeing Amanda having sex with an older man revealed to be her own father in the greenhouse. Mm. I, I, now, I have a problem with this. If you're going to change the incest twist, don't just make it another member of the family. <laughs> Get rid of it entirely. Yeah. Because here's the thing. If the whole point of the movie is to make this man have sex with his daughter, okay, one, uh, okay, so yes, technically speaking, in this movie, that is what happened to Amanda, but also, he wants revenge because he was in love with his father? Question mark? Um. <laughs> sort of like Oedipal, but for men. Yeah. Okay. And all, and but all... this is kind of like a two degrees of separation thing. Like, shouldn't he want to, like, okay, let's say that his father was abusing him, and then he found out that his father was abusing him, and then he told the class that his father was abusing him. Like, you could take out the sister entirely. The sister's useless to this plot yeah. right now. So, uh, yeah, and the, the original sis- old boy the sister basically just, sister. Ex- just exists to have right. shit thrown upon her by life. Um, in this right. movie, where, you know, being raped by her own father, being harassed by Joe. And side note, you know, can someone please explain to me why the fuck men find sniffing panties arousing? Because that happens in this movie, and I don't... I've never understood that concept. What is... Why do they do that? Like... They want to smell the beaver. What is... Why... <laughs> anyways uh <laughs> but yeah that's my problem is that it overcomplicates the story in a way that doesn't make it better it makes it worse it just makes things more confusing and dumb and right. then the whole family fucking dies um right. and <laughs> which i and actually then... like that scene there's a, there's a couple yeah. shots in this movie that are actually very good when spike lee isn't just aping off of park chan park chan ook's uh style I thought I it was think, Park Chan-wook. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the, the W is not pronounced. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. I learned that in a, in a Blu-ray commentary recently, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Adrian's father moved the Price family to Luxembourg, where he later murdered his wife and Amanda, attempted to murder Adrian, and committed suicide. Back at the car, they find a package with Chucky's tongue inside. Now, here's the other problem. Like, his father murders his whole family... And then he blames his father, he blames this guy for outing his daughter for having sex with his father. In the original movie, the brother was in love with the sister. The sister decided to commit suicide in a tragic way. And then he blames the guy that outed their relationship. It's very simple. All right. It's very simple. This is overly complicated. This is a web of conspiracy theory nonsense 
that requires so many... Like, this is like Lex Luthor's plan in Batman v Superman. Levels of overcomplicated and convoluted bullshit. <laughs> like... <laughs> right. And uh, back at the car, they find a uh, package with Chucky's tongue inside. Joe makes Marie promise to let him go after Adrian... Uh, go after... Joe makes Marie promise to let him go after Adrian alone. Joe goes to Adrian's penthouse, kills Hang Hang Bach by slitting her throat, and confronts Adrian. He tells Adrian what he found out about Amanda and Adrian's father, and thank God we get the villain's ass shot again. A lot like 2003. Uh, Adrian congratulates him for answering the two questions correctly, and then he's like, But you didn't answer the real question! Why did I let you free? (laughs) Which, by the way, in Old Boy 2003, that is actually a much more interesting question because we cut from him uh, getting out to him getting gas, and then he's on the rooftop. There's some plausible deniability there where you could say, okay, he somehow escaped, uh, and it wasn't intervention. Whereas... You know, when you first watch the movie. Whereas this one, he's in a field. He wakes up in a field in a box. There's, so, like, the someone had to let him out. Like... Right. So, that should have been much more on his mind, and it makes him stupider for not asking the question earlier. Yeah, which then, of course, leads to the TV show thing coming back, because, of course, the TV show was a was scam. The entire... Yeah. T- was a setup. And that Mia was actually Marie, and they changed her name. Um, yeah, yeah. The Mia in the TV show was a paid actress, and the real Mia changed her name to Marie for reasons. Um, okay, but here's my problem with this: this all relies upon a, a, an 18 year old gaming the adoption system. <laughs> like it's very unrealistic. Yeah. If you think about it for more than 10 seconds. And also, it's like they try to make... the uh, Again, they try to make Adrian out to be somewhat of a sympathetic figure, especially given that Joe is a massive asshole. But, um, but even though he was a massive asshole, dude, you spent 20 years manipulating tons of different people and different government and adoption and various bureaucratic systems to your whims to get one guy to commit incest. Like, you are <laughs> you are way more in the Rocky. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing, is that the movie, like, tries to make him more sympathetic, where the first film, it's just like, he seems pretty comfortable with who he is, I'd say. Like, he is he has made his bed, and he's okay with it. This version, Adrian's, like, crazy and and it's stupid i don't like it yeah but anyway adrian taunts joe by questioning why he was released at all we find out the truth he had sex with his own daughter joe's own daughter and that he wanted joe to know what it felt like to lose everything adrian then commits suicide shooting himself in the mouth which is not as good as the original scene which that scene is fucking fantastic in the original because we have we get the flashback finally of what happened when his sister died and then when he lets his hand go the hand then turns into him pulling the trigger and he shoots up that. It's one of the most beautiful artistic scenes. Yeah. And in this one, he just sticks a gun in his, in his mouth and shoots it's, himself. Because it's preceded by the scene where um, our, our main character, like, like you know, is pleading, begging on his knees, crying, cuts and, out his own tongue, and all which that. Which does not happen in this Whereas version. Whereas in this, this Josh Brolin is all like, just please kill me, please. And that's about <laughs> it. Like, he begs briefly to be killed, and then... Okay. If you're not going to go as hard as Old Boy 2003 then you shouldn't be remaking Old Boy 2003. <laughs> this, we, we don't need diet old boy. That's like asking for fucking uh, diet 
Kenji Fukasaku or Diet Battle Royale. It's not something anyone wants. Well, okay? I mean, they, I mean, they, I mean, they made uh, four they did, movies they did, and a prequel called... spinoff and an upcoming prequel spinoff out of Diet Battle Royale. Hey-o! That's true. Yeah. That's true. So yeah. horrified, Joe writes Maria a letter saying they can never see each other again. He leaves her most of the diamonds, using the rest to pay Cheney to return him to the captivity of the hotel room. Uh, and this movie is bad. It's, yeah, it's really bad. bad. Um, the everything about it that's different or is overcomplicated or seeks to or basically accidentally lessens the source material. It seeks and everything to solve like problems it com- that weren't actually there. Right. Like- and everything that is like the original movie feels like pastiche. I don't think we've mentioned just how bad the hammer scene is. Yeah. That, it comes like, off like a joke. O- like we glossed over the hammer scene. But like, yeah, the hammer scene happens and it's just sort of, he swings a ha- Like, you know what? You know what the, the hammer scene in this movie looks like? It's like what? the pre-viz of, like, all the Thor action scenes before they put in the actual Mjolnir and the cool lightning <laughs> stuff. Like, that's what it looks like. It just looks like a guy swinging around a tiny little prop hammer that they'll that, that, that they'll enhance later, just being like, ugh. And, and let, let's be fair. Like, Spike Lee is one of the best directors of our time. He's a, he he's has made amazing talented. movies. Like uh, Malcolm X, he's made uh, "Do the Right Thing." Yeah, uh, after this, he made the um, uh, he made Black Klansman, um, which is a great movie. Yeah. So I've heard, and yeah, but Spike Lee deserves your respect, just not for this movie. Not for this this movie. movie sucks. And to be fair, he also says that the theatrical cut of this movie is really bad. So and, yeah, and he, he's right. So like, and I I would be interested in seeing. I what think his version. I don't think any version of this could have worked because Old Boy is such a singular, like, unique movie that if you're going to adapt Old Boy the movie, that's a non-starter. You could adapt the comics, maybe you could do that. But if you're going to try and just do someone's work again, I don't think it'll work. Yeah. And clearly, nobody else liked it because it was a box office. Yeah, bomb. it was. It was an absolute bomb. Um, and, like, I think, like, I'd be interested, and again, like, it probably wouldn't work fully, but just the idea of, you know, what you've, what you've told me about this director's cut in that it was, you know, it was more different, and it didn't have the hammer scene, so automatic yes. improvement right there of not <laughs> having that terrible version of the hammer scene, so... I'd be interested in that version, even if I probably wouldn't fully work. Or even I, I have, if it didn't I have a pet theory. The original. Um, I have a pet theory that that hallway man hallucination would have come back more in the Spike Lee version, and that could have been interesting. Um, yeah, I'd be that's interested. just a pet theory, though. It seems like something Spike Lee would do. Yeah, I, I, so I'd be interested in seeing that version. And like I said up top. Oh, by the way, did you know Palm Clementif is in this? Oh, really? The, the last she. Of a- she She's the yellow umbrella woman. Oh, okay. This movie's just packed with MCU characters. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Wow. So this would have... So, and like I said up top, this would have been better if it wasn't called Old Boy. Like, if it had the same basic premise of, like, a man is framed for a crime he didn't commit, mysteriously imprisoned for 20 years, comes back and wants revenge. But make it a completely different motivation. And then you cut everything else... Like, you cut the incest yeah. twist, you cut the dumplings, you cut the hammer scene, and, like, but, you you know, you keep the cast, because the cast is great, you know, Josh Brolin, yeah. Rowan, Elizabeth Olsen, Samuel L. Jackson, um, 
I, I'm not sure who plays... The, I can't remember the name of who plays Adrian slash evil British man, but he's definitely trying with the material. Uh, it's bad, but he's trying. That's Charlto Copley. Charlto Copley. He's definitely trying, so, like, you keep... It's not very good. I'm sorry, Charlto. <laughs> Charlto. Like, uh, I, I feel bad, because, again, he's definitely trying. It's just the material is, is bad. Um... And, yeah. you know, I feel like if you, you know, cut all that, kept the cast and the basic premise, I feel, and, you know, Spike Lee directing a revenge action film with this cast, I think, could be great. But... I don't know. I, I feel like Spike Lee's strengths are really in his character-focused stuff. And that's not to say he can't shoot action. I'm just saying that I, I'm not sure if, if Old Boy or Revenge film is really uh, Spike Lee's forte, but I don't know. Maybe he's done something like that in the past. I, I'm not as well-versed into yeah, I'm not, the I, like, to be, like To be honest, like I'm not super familiar with Spike Lee's work. Like This is actually the first Spike Lee film I've seen. Bad intro. Um, and <laughs> But I feel like, you know, and again, I feel like, you know, it's all, I think it's always interesting to see directors step outside of their typical comfort zone, um, yeah. even in that point. So I think that could have been interesting. But... Because it's it is old boy, and he feels the need to put in all of the old boy stuff, or maybe the studio more felt the need. The to put studio in. did, yeah, the studio, yeah. because the studio is like, if you're making old boy, you have to put in all of the old boy stuff. Because uh, who is this for? Who yeah, is, who that's is the real this question. Meant to appeal. I'm reminded of there is a great joke in the first episode of. Uh, the Animaniacs reboot, um, and they do they do a whole song about the nature of reboots. And one of the lines in the song is, "Take something foreign and translate it, shamelessly appropriate it, even if the old fans hate it. Get the script rights cleared." And during the scene, <laughs> there is I shit you not, they put in a poster of the old boy remake <laughs> during this scene. <laughs> I mean, that just says everything, I'd say. You know, that's, that says everything that needs to be said, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think that's... Uh, what, 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 which movie did you think was better? I mean, that, I mean, look, I'm going to be honest. This whole thing, th this week was a bit of a wash. In, but <laughs> but it, the two. answer is Nightmare 2. <laughs> I agree. Nightmare, Nightmare 2 is the better movie. So what yeah. we do at the end of every Rocket Ship Roulette episode is we spin the RNG wheel from 1 to 100, and that picks a random movie. Now Chris can decide to veto it, in which we will spin again, and sequels, prequels, and remakes cannot be vetoed and have to be watched. And that amount on the wheel is called the hazard meter, and it's at 27%, so there's a 27% chance we'll land on something we have to watch. Now we have to choose two movies. Those are the rules. So Chris, shall we spin the wheel? I believe we should. All right, that brings us to number 33. Number 33 on this list is The f the Five Deadly Venoms, a great uh, Hong Kong action martial arts movie. Do you want a veto? After the past couple of episodes, I feel like I, I, I normally, I tend to normally lean towards Chaos Root, but after the past okay. couple episodes, I feel like we need more of a guaranteed win. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go with, I'm going to stick with Five Deadly Venoms, I think. You five know, Venoms is in the, the, the books. Oh, the Five Venoms, sorry. The, the five, five Venoms. The Five Venoms. All right. Okay, gotcha. Let's spin, shall we spin the wheel again? I believe we shall, yes. 
All right, that brings us to number 85. Number 85 is American Psycho 2. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. I, was, I feared this uh, day. Oh, oh, no. no. Uh, oh, no. Isn't American Psycho a good movie? Not now, Zilgi. <laughs> Zilgi. It's American Psycho 2. <laughs> All American Girl. An all-American girl. Oh, no. <sighs> and no, Zilgi, uh, before you ask, this has nothing to do with the beloved American girl line of dolls. <laughs> that is disappointing. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh dear God. Uh, Are you ready for another party? I will end you. <laughs> You're making me watch these movies because I killed you, which, okay, fair, but like, Jesus Christ, American Psycho 2? Right after the, the old fuck. boy remake? The Have fuck, you no Starcock sense of mercy? <laughs> mercy is for the weak. <laughs> wow, Starcock, you're mm. an asshole. Go to therapy. <laughs> he, he does need to go to therapy. You know, brother, I was thinking... We should go on a holiday in the nebula of flying pancakes. Mm. That sounds interesting, brother, with black holes that shoot syrup. Yes, very good. Uh, Brian, can you hold on the fort for a bit? We'll be back in a bit. Uh, don't forget to lock the front door. What the fuck, you guys are leaving? You're leaving the manta ray? How? It doesn't even make any sense! Aren't we in, like, a pocket dimension or something? Like... Uh, yes, we are in a pocket dimension, but it's a pocket dimension that has flying pancakes and, uh, maple syrup, uh, black holes. Or white holes, if you will. Um, apparently. Uh, um, Zilgi, can you explain how they're going to do this? Oh, yes. I can divide into a tiny baby version of myself and shoot them across the galaxy. Okay. Well, I guess... I guess, I guess they're gone now. This is now. fine. So, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I, this is nice. I'm gonna have this whole place to myself. This is very soothing. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, hey Zilgi, uh, why don't you play some jazz? Oh. What's jazz? I only play the screams of tortured infants from Beta 9. Oh no. That's pretty dark, Zilgi. The fuck? Dude. <laughs> we don't eat that. They will eat us. Are you sure about that? 85%. <laughs> well. All right. Well, that has been uh, an episode of Rocket Ship Roulette. Okay. Yeah. So we'll be back to the roulette in like three weeks for uh, the five Venoms and American Psycho 2. American Psycho 2, an American all American girl. girl. Oh, at least they didn't make uh, a third one. At least we're done uh-huh. after this. Um,. Fair. That's something. Um, but uh, next week... <clears throat> <laughs> Holy fucking shit. It's a dinosaur. Holy shit. Are we getting Jurassic like, Park? What the fuck? Holy fucking shit. It's a dinosaur. Isn't that a nostalgia critic joke? Look, I thought that was are we stealing I, are we stealing Doug Walker's joke? I thought so? that was just a general meme. I didn't think Doug Walker. No, I think it's Doug Walker. Did Doug Walker come up with that? Well, but whatever. 
It's one of his good jokes. Jurassic Park. We're doing Jurassic We're doing Park. Jurassic Park <laughs> and the the and the Lost World Jurassic Park because there's a new Jurassic World movie coming out. So we're doing all the Jurassic movies. Fun. Yeah. Fun times. Anyways, this has been Hipster and the Nerd, and we do this Rocket Chip Roulette Edition. Yeah. And we do this every week. And every you, week. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast. and all of your major podcast platforms. Platforms. Please leave us a nice five-star review and subscribe and vote in the polls and answer the Q&As and spread the word on social media and... <laughs> Hashtag share it with all of your friends. Hashtag hipster and the nerd. Hipster and the nerd. Help us grow the show. Grow the um, show. And I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Uh, you can also find me on my WordPress page, MegaNerd's Musings, a uh, home of geeky ramblings and self-indulgent fanfictions. And you could also find me encouraging Brian to hashtag release the colors cut for never <laughs> it's- no i'll probably uh we should probably release it um i'm thinking uh when is your birthday my birthday is january 8th all right we'll release it on your birthday we'll release it the- yeah <laughs> okay look forward to january 8th of 2023 when we'll release the color we'll finally release the colors cut um, to be fair the original and- unedited audio of that episode was three hours and 25 minutes okay <laughs> okay maybe i should clarify something about the colors cut and what i mean by that is we should release the uh uncut true color synopsis oh. as its own episode the one um, where the one where you should i also keep in the stuttering and stuff I mean, you can. It might depend on what the fans want. I'll please I'll tell to, us I'll what have, you want. And this I'll has been Hipster and the, the Nerd. Fans. Where can they find your geeky ramblings and self-indulgent fan fiction? Well, yes, that is on my WordPress page, Mega Nerds Musings. I believe I already said that. All right. But anyways, Brian, where can they find you? You can find me on Letterbox at Bbrek Two. I finally got over fifteen hundred movies because I have a life. And also, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Brecker, or you can find me on your favorite podcast, Hipster and the Nerd. That you're listening to. Right now. Right now. Um, or you can find me drowning in maple syrup. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. There's I let in a hole. Hello. I am the maple syrup <laughs> of infinite tastiness. Fuck, not another one of the infinite people. <laughs> oh, Shit. Oh, God damn it. I thought I was going to have this place to myself. No, no. All right. Is it? Damn it! Just what we need is another talking maple syrup. Are you married to Mrs. Butterworth? All right, hold on. (laughs) Now we've had the infinite, uh, the spirit of infinite dankness, the spirit, the stomach ulcer of infinite gratitude, and now we have the maple syrup of infinite tastiness. This seems like a trend, and I don't trust you. Again, I don't trust you either. Again, my question is, is the maple syrup of infinite tastiness related to Mrs. Butterworth? This is very important to the lore. I hate Mrs. Butterworth. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. And uh, we will see you yes, next time. Th- yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Seize the means of Applebee's. Seize the means of Applebee's. Will, and we will see you 
next time. I'm putting you in a bottle, you motherfucker. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. Kruger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Just fight him! Watch out for him. He'll be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. You are all my children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs>